Welcome to Roeville Uniting Church and the reflection of the day from the Reverend Trevor Bassett. Ah, you've got to love biblical exaggeration, don't you? It is a story, Job. Who would want 6,000 camels, really? (laughs) Well, here's a question for you, not about camels, although it could have been. What would you like me to do for you? What a great question to be asked. Wouldn't you all like to be asked that question? To have someone come up and say, what would you like me to do for you? But, well, hang on a moment. I guess your answer to that question could depend a little bit on who the one is that is asking it. Hmm. So... If a family member comes up to you and says, what would you like me to do for you? You might say, ooh, take me out for dinner. Or you might be more practical and say, you could do the dishes. Or play a game with me. I might have, I might have said to my children, if they ask that, clean your room. Or hang out the washing. But what if the Prime Minister of Australia asks, what would you like me to do for you? Would you answer the same way or would it be something like, you could increase the pension, uh, you could reduce my taxes, um, I might have added release the children in detention or get a unified approach to climate change? Well, what about if Bill Gates came in the room and said, What would you like me to do for you? Oh, a new car, Ferraris. I like Ferraris. Uh, Pay off my mortgage. Well, a new wardrobe. So it might go. In some of the answers to some of those, depending on who's asking, we could get a little bit mixed up with uh, some of what we want versus some of what we need. If Jesus asks that question, what would you like me to do for you, which he does when Bartimaeus comes over, Bartimaeus knows what he needs. And it's kind of fortunate that in Bartimaeus's case, what he needs and what he wants are actually the same thing. Bartimaeus needs and wants to be able to see. So today, what can I do for you is a good question, but it's not what I really want to focus on, but I will come back to it and focus a little bit further on because first I want to rewind the story a little bit because before Bartimaeus can be asked a question by Jesus, He has to get the attention of Jesus. So, can you imagine it? There's a fair crowd all surrounding Jesus. How does a blind, probably smelly beggar get the attention of Jesus? So he cries out, cries out for attention. Imagine if it was Scott Morrison walking by. 
or Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin. And, and yet there wouldn't have just been a bit of a crowd around them. There would have been security everywhere. And the security would have been all over Bartimaeus, not just some well-meaning crowd moving him away. I remember years ago, John Howard, when he was Prime Minister, was out for his early morning run. And he, he, well, actually it was a walk, if I remember. I think Julie Bishop does the run thing. John Howard did the walk thing. And this bloke, he was walking, I think it was alongside the the, uh, Yarra River in Melbourne. And this bloke sees him and comes running up to him and gives him a big hug. He was a bit of a John Howard fan. And the media all noticed and the security, that this bloke had a big screwdriver in his back pocket. He'd been working on a boat beside the river. The security nearly had a conniption. What if it had been a knife and not a screwdriver? And things changed for John Howard's walk after that. There was nothing sinister about it. Just one of those things and it was all okay. But in this case, back 2,000 years ago, because it's Jesus and he doesn't have a security detail, just some well-meaning crowd members, he doesn't hurry by. He hears the cry and he decides to investigate what it is that this blind man is looking for. The people in the crowd, realising that Jesus is going to stop for this blind beggar, turn to blind Bartimaeus and they say, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Take heart, get up or stand up, he is calling you, he is calling me. The story is about a blind beggar named Trevor, named David, named Thelma, named Margaret, maybe named Roval Uniting Church, maybe called The Church, maybe the beggar is called any Christian with ears to hear. So, when we hear Jesus calling and the crowd says, take heart, he is calling you, when we go over to Jesus with Bartimaeus and Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? How will we answer? The answer that Bartimaeus gives let us see, might be a good response. There are many things, indeed, as I've already referred to, that we are blind to. But there are other possibilities. We might ask about a personal issue based on our health, based on a difficult relationship, based on some desire to have a closer understanding of God. Maybe our response might be based on some financial difficulty we are having. Today, in some places, it's being recognised in the lectionary year as Reformation Sunday. 
And I wondered, as I thought about this, whether we might ask for reformation or reformation. Which way should it go? Reformation or reformation? And if we did ask for reformation, what might we be meaning when we asked it? See, the Uniting Church, like other Protestant churches, is a church of the Reformation. The actions and preaching of reformers like Martin Luther, John Wesley, John Calvin, Karl Barth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to name just a few, and I was, I was writing that list down, I thought, jolly me, where, where's the women in this list? But thankfully, I think if we were to look more modern times as we are a church that needs to keep reforming, that we hear the voices of women as well as men in that call for reformation. It would be a good response for us to say to Jesus when he says, what can I do for you to say, reform us, bring reformation to us. And so I found myself thinking, what reformation do we in the church, what reformation does the church need today? Is reformation about filling our churches? You know, when you think of the reformation that happened around John Wesley's preaching, there was this awakening in the church and, 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 and it was filled. But do we need to be reformed back to the glory days of Christendom? In fact, do we actually think that the church needs saving? Well, I want to say no, it doesn't. But it does, however, need reformation or reformation. The church over the centuries has slowly uh, moved away from a position of huge power, might have even had absolute power, political power. And it's become a voice more and more that calls to account and reminds people, reminds organisations, reminds governments of their moral and justice obligations. And the church is doing this now much more from the margin rather than from the centre where we once were. Not in my lifetime. Of course, how we do this, how we become that voice that speaks from the margins has become very challenging because why should anyone listen to the voice of the church? The church abuses children. The church has not been free of a culture of bullying. The church oppresses people because of their gender, because of their race, and because of their sexuality. Those are pretty hard things to be indicted with. But we can add to that the fairly difficult challenge that there are many in the church who have taken to heart Genesis chapter 1 and proclaim that in the story of creation, God has given human beings dominion over the creation 
And the church has proclaimed the abuse of the creation because human beings can do with it whatever they like. On our watch, we are seeing some pretty difficult issues that the church needs to address in order to be reformed. And we need to hear the call of the crowd that says to Bartimaeus, stand up. He is calling you. We need to stand up and see. The church and members of the church need to stand up and speak loudly. And there are many issues that we need to speak loudly about. First, we need to speak loudly to ourselves and address some of those issues of reformation. But alongside that, we need to speak loudly about issues of justice. And I wonder whether we speak loudly enough. Speak loudly in this country about the fact that there are children in detention at the behest of our government. And if you are not outraged by that, the groundswell might catch you up because more and more people are becoming outraged when they see and think about what we have done. The church and members of the church need to stand up and speak loudly about this country's lack of a unified approach to climate change. Someone told me that climate change was a political issue. It is not. It cannot be a political issue. And then this week it occurred to me in a conversation that climate change is about the sins of the father that will be paid out on generation after generation after generation. You know, when you see that in the Bible in the Old Testament, the sins will be paid out for generations, tenfold, and I get all uncomfortable. But you know what? Climate change is unforgiving. And if we fail to address it, the consequences for generations to come will be enormous. Climate change is unforgiving and relentless. And I think we need to name that it's not a political issue. If you took a survey of countries in the world, there's probably only three or four countries that make it a political issue. Our big brother, America, leads the way. But most countries just see it as an issue that we have to unifiedly address. I hope when we go with Bartimaeus that we will ask Jesus for reformation, for reformation, that we might see where reformation is needed and how we can make it possible. I hope today that we will think about what it might mean for the church, but what it might also mean for us personally to stand up, for he is calling us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Reflection of the Day from the Reverend Trevor Bassett at Roval Uniting Church. Roval is a suburb of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. We look forward to welcoming you back to another Reflection of the Day soon. You are always welcome at our weekly worship services held at 10am each Sunday.